Welcome back to First Time Outdoors, everybody. Uh, this week, we've got another guest in studio, uh, one of my high school friends, Sean Fleming. And he's in to talk to us today about kind of a different outdoor pursuit. Um, we're going to be talking about hog hunting. So from us Minnesotans, it's a little different. We don't have hogs here in Minnesota, but they're in a lot of states. I think we're up to 35 states in the United States that have them. Um, so there's plenty of opportunity. So welcome, Sean. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so you just got back, I think, right? Uh, you had a little hog hunt yourself? Yeah, so just in January, uh, kind of mid-January, I went down. Um, my connection to hog hunting is a little random, uh, kind of just uh, pure luck that it happened to me. Um, I'm actually a Minnesotan too, but uh, my aunt and uncle live down in Texas my uncle is a passionate outdoorsman, very interested in big game hunting, and he bought a 300 acre ranch uh, in central Texas and uh, wanted it primarily as a deer hunting location, deer and turkey. And then when he started setting up corn feeders out there and going out to deer hunt, <laughs> he mostly got a bunch of wild boar that would come into the feeders. Mm -hmm. So. He, at this point, uh, is pretty sick of hogs, but he it's become an opportunity for him to invite family and friends down and show them a good time. Yeah. You mentioned the corn feeders. I think for some of our listeners, that might be something we'll have to investigate a little further, maybe as the episode goes on, but it's certainly a different uh, sort of hunting culture in Texas. I think that's pretty standard. That's not just your uncle, right? Definitely. And it's... Uh, you know, yeah, that's something we could talk about later, but it's it's one of the, there's a lot of benefits to it, and it's kind of one of the drawbacks of the, the sport, too, I think, is the, the sense that you're baiting them in. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Texas in general is just, if you grew up hunting in Minnesota, going down and hunting in Texas, it's a, it's a totally different experience. Um, so, number one, you're going to have, generally, these corn feeders... Uh, they're legal to use. Um, you can use them. I think, you know, I've never deer hunted down there, but I think you can use them throughout the deer season. You don't have to like shut them down at a certain point. Some states I know they allow you to bait deer in uh, during certain parts of the year and then you have to turn your corn feeders off or have them fenced off or something like that at different point parts. In Texas, it's kind of a free-for-all. Um, and so that being said, with uh, having corn feeders, you get a lot of action. There's a good chance that in a 24 hour period of time, you're gonna have at least one group of hogs coming into that feeder. So uh, the fun of it is if you can just sit there and be patient, you are probably gonna have a shooting opportunity. So on this latest trip, I went down there with my dad, um, my another uncle, um, his wife, my aunt, and then my cousin. So the five of us uh, each had a shooting opportunity I had two shooting opportunities. I ended up getting a small sow. I missed a large boar that was moving around the outside of a feeder. Um, my dad missed a pig. My uncle missed a pig. <laughs> so a lot of misses on this trip. Yeah. And then uh, my aunt and my cousin, who were newcomers, I uh, never had never hog hunted before. Each got a hog. Wow. So uh, they both shot pretty big boars. Um, so it was a good trip overall. But it just shows, you know, within a week of time five people we had six shots on pigs that's a lot of action compared to a, a whitetail season oh absolutely yeah i think that's something important to highlight um it was something that you know i needed to become familiar with 
before trying it, and I think it was something that kind of led me to to doing it, is laying out how much of a nuisance they are, uh, and to you know farmers and just the the environment that they live in, but also how rapidly they reproduce and how uh, how many there like there's millions mm-hmm. of hogs in the United States, and that you know having that much action that's evidence of you know how how many there are, and it's just really it's not the same as having you know. A couple deer on your property, they're, you know, they they roll around in sounders of yeah. 20 or more, and they just kind of blow through properties, right? Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's crazy, you know, like, if, again, with, if you are experienced as a whitetail hunter, or you grew up hunting whitetails, it's, it's a totally different ecology um, going on down in Texas, where you have, uh, instead of, like, forested areas, the area that we hunt in is primarily these small mesquite trees, and so it's almost like a, if you can imagine a prairie where there's a lot of prairie grass um, and then you have uh, these mesquite trees everywhere. They grow about, oh, probably 20 feet tall at the maximum. And um, uh, you kind of look at that landscape and be like, it's pretty desolate here. I can't imagine anything roaming around here. And then uh, sure enough, at night, things light up. You'll hear coyotes. Um, you hear hogs squealing all over the place and all day long if you're walking around there's just hog tracks everywhere so like you said a, a sounder can be uh anywhere from a handful of individuals uh, and a sounder is a group of pigs so a sounder can be a handful of, of individual pigs uh they can vary in age and generation so you might have you know up to like five generations in a single sounder um I've heard of sounders being as large as 100 pigs, and that's kind of a seasonal thing where you might have several groups gather together um, on like fields and stuff like that. And that's more of just a random occurrence. It's not it's not the norm. The biggest that I've seen, I uh, personally, while sitting in a stand, had about, I would say 20 to 25 pigs come into a feeder at one time. And that's a sight to see. And I think that, uh, you know, being, you know, having grown up, Again, I, I compare, I tend to compare everything to whitetail hunting, but uh, you grew up in like just seeing one deer in a week or even in a season can sometimes seem like a magical occurrence. And so then to go down and have suddenly 25 animals that any one of them you could shoot and have uh, some good meat on the table, it just, it, it's almost laughable. You know, you almost want to just burst out laughing while you're sitting there in the stand, especially because they they just look bizarre as an animal. You know, they're like, when you, when you see these pigs, they're not, um, they don't look like something that should have evolved. You know what I mean? And they are, uh, they are primarily actually almost a domestic pig. Um, I guess on that note, maybe I should talk a little bit about the kind of history of pigs in the United States. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So, uh, wild boar are pretty well distributed throughout the world. Uh, they're an extremely successful species. Um, they have been domesticated. The domestication of pigs goes back at least 10,000 years. Um, there's evidence that, you know, there were sort of separate domestications in both Asia, like in China and so forth, and then in the Middle East, and then probably in Europe at the same time. So independent domestications of the same species. Um, there's also evidence as they've done genetic research that shows pigs have been sort of feralized where they've been kind of released into nature and then re-domesticated at different points throughout human history over the last 10,000 years or so. Um, so 
domestic pigs were originally brought to the United States in around the 1500s when the Spanish conquistadors came over, they would often just leave pigs behind. And that allowed them, as they were backtracking along their, you know, kind of explorations, a, um, a very fecund uh, food source, you know, where these things reproduce pretty rapidly and they're, they can survive in a lot of different environments. So they would also, you know, just... Uh, sailors would sort of put pigs on an island knowing that these pigs are going to survive and then they'd know hey coming back here next season or whenever um, we can just have pigs here or if mm -hmm. you get marooned or you know stranded in some way there's going to be pigs here for me to survive on so pigs have been here for a really long time um, in the 1890s uh, actual wild boar um, from Europe uh, sort of like probably Eastern Europe, more of the Russian boar, were brought over to the United States and they were put into these high fence pens or they were just released onto the landscape by wealthy, you know, people who wanted to go hunt these things. And um, these wild boar ended up interbreeding with the sort of domesticated or semi-domesticated slash feralized population that had already been spread across the Southern United States. Um, and so, uh, the, this kind of interbreeding that's gone on has, has been something within the last hundred or so years. Um, but it's, and so this is where it's interesting. You'll see some pigs that you shoot might, uh, look like a Eurasian boar where they've got basically a big razorback, a big mane on them. They're covered in hair. And then you might shoot another pig and it's got, uh, like a polka dot fur basically you know it's got mm -hmm. black spots mm -hmm. on it and a white coat and it you know basically if you were to take the hair off of it it would just look like a, a barnyard animal and so again seeing a sounder of 20 of these kind of goofy barnyard animals just roaming around the texas prairie is kind of a, a funny sight to see that's fascinating yeah and so um i think there's been a lot of uh recent press on wild boar in probably the last 15 years or so um, where they do have data that, that feral hogs have been expanding their range throughout the United States. Um, they were pretty isolated in the South up until about the 1980s. And then since that time, they've just been expanding county by county up into more Northern reaches across the United States. Uh, they're currently in 38 States and there's an estimated population of about 9 million spread out throughout the United States, about two and a half million are in Texas. So that's got the majority or the most densely populated area of wild boar in the United States. Um, and then interestingly, there's also a population in Canada in the uh, kind of Canadian prairies that has been rapidly expanding recently and is now encroaching on North Dakota and um, I think Montana too. So okay. coming down from the prairie that way. So uh, I think it had been formally thought that these, these pigs weren't expanding northward because they just didn't like the cold, weren't tolerable for that and, and so forth. And now, I mean, they've seen in Canada, these things have uh, like tolerate the cold just fine. They'll burrow down into the snow. They grow thick, you know, coats and they're expanding there. So it's really interesting. So what are they in the south? We mentioned cordon feeders, which is what we're using to attract them. 
what are they eating otherwise? Because, like Jake had pointed out, they're kind of decimating farmlands and desert areas and stuff. So what are they feeding on that's creating such an impact? Yeah, so, I, I mean, being pigs, they <laughs> pretty much eat anything. You know? yeah. That's why they're called pigs. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so they, um, yeah, they pretty much, they're, they're highly omnivorous. Um, the One of the reasons why, again, there's kind of a lot of press around them is that with the expansion of their population... They will go and they can destroy uh, an agricultural field. Uh, some people call them nature's rototillers. And so they actually, they've got this very long snout. And um, they'll kind of ram that snout right into the ground and dig up the, the ground with it. They use it almost like a spade. And uh, just kind of plowing through the dirt like that, they dig up roots and grubs. And then at the same time, they're eating all the crops they can find too. I'd imagine they, you know, eat wheat, you know, just straight eat the grass and stuff like that. Um, I think the, uh, the riparian areas, the creeks and stuff that gets washed out, they, they tend to burrow and, and look yeah. for everything. And then the things erode and that's a big function of their destruction too. Yeah. So they've actually, um, they do since they're, so they're, so they're, Part of their ecology, like you said, they're very riparian in that they they, uh, they sort of shelter by river areas and then venture out from those river areas to get other food and stuff. Um, in doing that, they're constantly wallowing and sort of burrowing into the sides of these rivers. And they can actually damage watersheds that way as far as polluting them. Mm-hmm. Um, pigs are pretty dirty, uh, being, you know, as, as prolific as they are, they... Um, and, and eating all sorts of things. They also carry a lot of diseases. And so, yeah, they, they will just straight pollute up a, a watershed. Um, but yeah, they, you know, another thing is that they will eat uh, ground nesting birds. They'll eat, uh, you know, on the coastal areas, they've, they've been shown to eat uh, sea turtles when they hatch, they'll come in. And so a lot of these endangered species are threatened by wild boar coming in and just eating them up. Um, they will cannibalize each other if they, uh, you know, come across dead bodies of other pigs or whatnot, they'll just straight eat that. They will eat other carrion. So dead deer found on the side of the road, you know, a pig might just come along and eat that. Just everything. Just yeah. everything. Yeah. They're, they're pigs. They, they eat everything. That's why they have a reputation in mafia movies. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, yeah. I think, and I think it's interesting too that, um, you know, they sort of are, they've evolved alongside of us. And for our purposes, they're a really good animal to have around. You know, you can imagine if you, let's say you're a peasant in the Middle Ages, having a, a bunch of pigs there to throw, you know, basically you can just throw your your excess, you know, whatever, it's the top of your roots or whatever, the things you're not eating, yeah. throw all this slop out to the pigs. They're going to gobble anything you throw to them up. And you can then slaughter them and have all this meat, you know, and they're, they can reproduce very quickly. Um, you know, some people say they can reproduce every four months. I think realistically, a sow is going to have a litter about twice a year, two to three times a year. Um, but their litter can be anywhere from, you know, six to a dozen piglets. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of animals. Yeah. You know, if you can, again, compare that to white-tailed deer, uh, you know, a doe is going to have Probably a maximum of two, two fawns in a year, and they, uh, they birth those once a year. 
And I think I read somewhere that uh, they can become sexually mature in, in something as like as short as six months or some, you know, under yeah. a year. Yeah, I've heard that too. I, yeah, I don't know how accurate that is, but yeah. that's what I've heard too. That around six months they can so be. So when you start to compound that, yeah, you know, she yeah. could potentially have twenty four every year, and yep. those twenty four maybe a dozen or females can have blows up fast six months yeah. to a year. I mean, so that's how the numbers uh, can really get out of control. So on this last trip that I was on, uh, I ended up shooting a sow. And she came in in a sounder of, there were probably, so she was about, oh, I'd say about a hundred pounds. And there were about three sows that were her size. So about a hundred pounds. And then they had probably about six smaller juvenile piglets with them. And uh, when we went back and butchered her, she actually had about 12 fetuses inside of her. So she was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, and that's another thing is if you do go down and you hunt them, there's a high likelihood that if you shoot a sow, she's going to have uh, a, basically a litter inside Jeez. of her, unless she's, unless she's currently nursing mm. uh, piglets, in which case, you know, she won't be. But, uh, so yeah, so, so multiple sows that we've shot, you know, they have these, these, these fetuses inside of them. And, um, but it just, you know, it just shows how prolific they are. Cause I mean, mm. I'm sure that that sow, she had probably... She, she seemed pretty young, but, you know, she probably had at least already one litter and they'd probably matured enough to kind of venture off on their own. Um, and now if she's in a group of those three, well, if those, those other two sows look pregnant too, you know, I'm sure they had yeah. been bred too, maybe by the same boar. So, you know, so you are got, they, I'm sorry, are there psych, are they like cycling and like, are they synced up? Like, are they, do they have like a rut? No. Or is I, it just like whenever they're ready, they go? As far as I know, they don't have a rut really. You know, I think they're, uh, you know, whereas deer have this seasonal thing where they go into rut and fall. I've never come across anything that says pigs do like a seasonal thing. I think it's more, you know, like humans. It's sort of like they've got their, their own estrus cycle and then uh, they'll get bred, you know, get pregnant, uh, nurse, or once they give, once they give birth to these piglets, they'll nurse them. They can't become pregnant while they're nursing them due to hormones. And then once they sort of stop nursing them, then they're ready to get pregnant again. So that's where, um, you know, and again, so like, let's say, let's say a, a sow gets pregnant and then gets halfway through that pregnancy and something happens or she catches a disease and ends up uh, aborting that batch well she can then rapidly get pregnant again mm. so that's another reason why they can you know spread so much and just have so many babies is that mm. um you know if she if she loses a litter she can just go into heat again so that's mm. where yeah every they say every four months you know they can theoretically become pregnant but again if they're if they're nursing they're not going to get pregnant that often it's going to be about twice a year sure Huh, that's fascinating. It's a little dark for sure. As a as a new hunter, I think there and there's probably a lot of people <laughs> listening that that's you know would throw cold water all over the situation. But uh, but I think it's probably a good time to you know bring up some some of the reasons why I I, I went with uh, hog hunting with Sean. Mm -hmm. Was that two years ago now? Yeah, I think it was two years ago, 2017. Yeah. 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 Um, so I went down there and. You know, it was similar to my main driver to get into hunting big game generally, which is as a food source. Right. And when we talked about, you know, wild hogs, um, they're everywhere. They're devastating 
landscapes, um, and they are the same species as what you'd go get at the grocery store. It's yeah. the same. It's the same animal. It's just they run around so they don't have as much fat. They're not fattened up in a pen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something really appealing to that to say, well, you know, my family likes pork, and I can go find it. <laughs> and really, uh, because of there's such a you know issue in places like Texas, I think there's a couple other states where. Uh, you know, you may or may not need a license, uh, depending on the state's regulations, the lim- I mean, you can get a lot potentially of animals. You don't, you're not limited to like say one, like in, mm-hmm. in many places for white tails and things like that. And it's a, a meat you're familiar with. So, um, all of those factors coupled with the fact that they are running, they're spending their lives as free range as they could be, mm-hmm. you know, despite the, the corn feeder aspect of things these are just animals running around on the landscape mm-hmm. um so yes there can be some darkness there always is with hunting uh if you're you know if you shoot a sow and there's uh, little piglets around or, or something like that that's up to every hunter to sort of weigh that equation out what they want to be participating in that but i do find some consolation in the fact that these are animals that are they spent their lives however long they have them they're running around you know being free that's that's appealing to me i guess yeah, yeah. and you're also doing something for the ecosystem mm-hmm. by taking them out of there yeah yeah i think um you know i think that any well let's say you know any whitetail hunter would have serious reservations about shooting a pregnant doe or even you know if you saw a doe that was had like some Um, some late fawns that were maybe still nursing during archery season or something like that, maybe having some reservations about, about shooting that doe, uh, for conservation reasons, you know, with pigs, it's almost the opposite. I mean, you, if you shoot a pregnant sow, then you have done the, the, the thing that acts in the most conservation minded Mm, way, you know, um, but it, it is dark, but I mean, like you said, I think that hunting, uh, sort of exposes you to the dark truths about life and nature and how the cycle of life works. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. And you can always decide off how much of it you want to take on. Yeah. We can draw your own lines and just hold oh, yourself to that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you, the fact that you mentioned that about a pregnant doe, I remember asking you, Mike, uh, about like hunt, like bow hunting in December. You know, I, I think I asked at one point, like, you know, like let's say the rut's early and a doe gets bred Mm-hmm. in late October, like, what does that mean if I shoot a doe in late December? Like, yeah. should I be shooting a doe at that point of the year? Like, just like ethically, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't, I, that was something I wrestled with, um, in my first couple of years going, I think if I want to shoot a doe, I want to shoot her really early. You know, I don't want to have to deal with that. And yeah, I haven't had enough experiences to really think about that too much, but that's a reality. Um, and like, I think that's just the best way to summarize that, that whole conversation is like, it's up to anything you do in the hunting and fishing world, whether you're going to catch and release fish, you're going to, you know, hunt pigs, whatever it is, you, it's up to your own ethics to sort of decide what you're comfortable with. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's interesting that we're a species that has, you know, we create ethics for mm-hmm. ourselves and make these decisions. Um, you know, a mountain lion isn't, isn't going to make those decisions. They're going to taking it take the advantageous uh animal that comes in front of them and um i think big picture too you know if you uh if you have a license the luckily we have uh state 
game agencies that have run these numbers to see, hey, what if you shoot a, a, a late season doe and she's pregnant? Um, well, they're, they've run the numbers and they can see that that's probably not going to impact numbers. Yeah. So it's good that we have these, these agencies and that, you know, we support these agencies through our taxes and through our licenses and stuff like that. So to, to be able to sort of conserve the species, um, that, you know, having a, having a game license in place, you know, you're almost bringing by, t- by you taking a deer or not, you're almost bringing more deer into an existence, no matter what, just by default, by putting money into the, the sport. That's something we talked about earlier in previous episodes about, you know, getting licenses, getting tags, even if you don't want to hunt, you don't have to hunt by getting them, but that is a way to participate in yeah. buying mm-hmm. those tags. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's hard to argue with that. So kind of on that, on that note, um, Texas used to require a small game license for hunting hogs. Now, and actually it was, if you want to shoot and transport hogs, you needed a small game license. If you were just going to shoot them and let them lay and let them get eaten by buzzards and coyotes, uh, you didn't need a license at all. Which is so there's no of, wanton waste laws. Huh? As far as I know, not on uh, not on feral hogs. I never knew that. I don't yeah. think there is because, the, you know, this is like a totally hairy conversation about all the ethics. and yeah. like, but, but like there is an industry in yeah. t- places like Texas where, you know, helicopter hunting is a thing. Yep. Oh, and, sure. and those people don't go typically yeah, they're not pick up their... Them. Yeah, animals. So um, I don't think that there could be if that's exist in existence. Yeah, and it's you know so so currently you don't need a uh, they they changed the law where you actually don't need a small game license as far as I know you know I haven't looked at the most latest but I'm pretty sure you don't you don't need a small game license to hunt them and so you basically can go shoot them transport them do what you want. Um, they have think, sort of. I think to clarify, sorry to interrupt. I think. The language reads, if you have permission of a landowner. If you have permission of so a landowner. Yeah. I don't want to get... Yeah. Definitely yeah. go read the regulations before you go participate in this, but I think that that's the current state of things. Yes. And that and, and maybe we could talk on a different note, or this is kind of a different tangent off of that, but that another thing about Texas is they have very few opportunities for public hunting. There is almost no public land in Texas. I think 90% of the land in Texas is privately owned so then you take that 10 percent. well what of that is actually hunting land compared to you know a park where you can't hunt or something like that Mm -hmm. it's pretty small so your opportunity to go hunt feral hogs on public land in texas is just so minimal that you pretty much need access to private land in order to do it um and then you know yeah i mean once you're on that private land there is no regulation about and it might be county to county, but uh, where I've hunted, there's no regulation about uh, shooting hours. So you can shoot, you know, through the night pretty much. And most uh, hunting for hogs is nocturnal. Uh, you're using predator lights um, to watch them when they come in, or you're using night vision or thermal scopes to image them and then, and then shooting them at night in the dark. So a predator light, can you explain what that is? Yeah, so a predator light is a... Um, it's a light that casts a green tinted or a red tinted light. And there's something about, I always, I'm, I'm not very good with the science on it, but there's, um, there's something about that spectrum of light that most animals' eyes have a harder time detecting it. 
Um, so they'll still see that they'll still see if you're moving that light around, they'll still see shadows moving per se. So it, it can spook them that way, but they're not, it's not like boom, they see this color flooding into the area. Um, and so red is the least or is the, is the most effective where you're not going to detect them that way. Um, most people though use green because with green you can see them better like red is is even hard if you're casting it at a distance it's hard for humans to pick mm -hmm. out shapes and stuff like that too so most people use green and i've what i've learned is that just taking a predator light setting it up so you've got a green beam shown on the feeder um the hogs don't aren't they're not dissuaded by that at all they'll come in and they'll run right into the feeder um, and you can see them just fine at night. So my dad and my aunt and uncle use, they have some night vision scopes. Um, those are highly effective. I think, uh, you know, my opinion on night vision scopes, they are expensive, although they're pretty reasonable now. Um, but it's, you're looking through a digital apparatus. And in doing that, you're sort of disconnecting, excuse me, you're sort of disconnecting yourself from the game on another level. Mm -hmm. compared to using a scope yeah i, I found yeah, i never I'm, thought of that that's an interesting point like i think of when i think of night vision scope i think of like call of duty sure you know and it kind of makes it seem i don't know less realistic or like yeah lifelike and it is like that i mean it's in some ways it's uh yeah it's like you're you're looking at their shapes, but the, the spectrum, you, you know, it's like you're, you're essentially looking at like black and white through this scope. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing these black pig shapes come in. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, you know, again, yeah, just looking through a digital medium. Yeah. It's, it's different. It's not the green. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's not green. Yeah. It's like, it's not like a goggle that you'd see in a movie. It's a, it's black and white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, so. you can, some of the scopes allow you to put it green, although I don't know why anybody would do that. Um, but yeah, and then I mean, thermal scopes are even more expensive, and they're you know you could really just if you had a thermal scope, you could pretty much just probably walk around the desert at night <laughs> and shoot hogs that you would illuminate on your thermal, you know, mm -hmm. if you've got the technology to do that. And some people do that, I know. I mean, I've, you can watch YouTube videos of people doing that. Um, so you know, again, the sky's the limit as far as what your ethical boundaries are, what your technological boundaries are for hunting hogs. Um, people will go out and. Again, to try to shoot as many in a night as possible. Um, me personally, I still see it as like, this is about hunting for me. So while it's a lot easier than going out and whitetail hunting, for me, it's ultimately about the pursuit of, of meat and having that story and having that intimate interaction with, you know, a single animal. Sure. So can you describe what that looks like? So if you're going out hunting, mm -hmm. you know, where is the corn feeder sitting? What are, where are you in yeah. this space? So, um... We, at this ranch, my uncle's ranch, um, it's, it's basically old agricultural land that has been grazed for uh, decades. And uh, so it's mostly grass. Again, there's mesquite trees everywhere. Um, there's a lot of prickly pear cactus. And then he's chosen areas that uh, show a lot of hog sign or are sort of in a key terrain feature um, where the hogs are going to be funneled into that spot and then hit that corn feeder routinely. And then uh, we have either stands that are like a, a tripod stand or a um, like a box blind. And those stands or, or box blinds will be set up anywhere from 
40 yards to 100 yards away from that feeder. So you're basically, um, you know, you're making a 100 yard shot from a box that's up on a, you know, stand. So you're, you might be 20 feet in the air. Um, and then the corn feeder itself is just basically a big 50 gallon drum on top of a tripod that has a machine on it that spits out corn at timed intervals. So you can time them at different times. So, you know, my uncle just happens to set them to go off in the morning and then set them to go off in the early evening. Um, some people will say that just the sound of that corn coming out of a feeder will often attract pigs into it. Um, we've sometimes seen that, but more often not. They tend to hit it a couple hours after the corn goes off. Again, they're moving at night. Mm. I remember when I was down there, I so I bow hunted for most of my time down there. Um, and I, I remember you saying that, that they could come in and, you know, you're just sitting there in your stand for hours and nothing's happening and then you hear that timer go off and the corn gets scattered and i remember just grabbing my bow like they're coming they're gonna come running they're in. coming yeah and you know that didn't happen right. i was gonna touch on that uh just the you know we can sort of state what i think is fact about the numbers of pigs and and your experience with the opportunity but it they are wild animals yeah and they are smart and you know i spent i think four days hunting morning and night mm -hmm. and didn't see a pig yeah with my bow sitting over corn so like that it's not a guarantee uh and being 100 yards away in a box blind with a rifle certainly yeah. increases your chances uh, i think you know my scent getting swirled in the wind and whatnot is a factor but i think it's worth noting that it's not even with sort of quote-unquote bait and uh all the factors the lights i, I had a light that was hanging underneath the corn feeder. It was like a, like a Frisbee, a disc light that was mm -hmm. yeah. motion censored. So when an animal, so I was sitting in the dark and then when an animal would walk under with a, a squirrel or a rabbit, a couple deer at one point, then mm -hmm. it would slowly start illuminating, mm. which was so a pretty cool, yeah, yeah. it was a pretty cool experience. I had two or three deer one night sitting there for about 45 minutes, just chomping away on corn, just being illuminated in the darkness. And, mm -hmm pretty cool but yeah i just wanted to bring that up raise that point that uh you know a with the lights and b you know just the fact that like it, it's not an easy pursuit regardless of time of day yeah feeder there's still there's still a challenge in that um you don't know if they're coming in or not and yeah you can you can throw bait out there you know you can you can be in a box blind like you said and be 100 yards away and uh the pigs just might not decide to come um and so and again it, it can be more of a just simply a feat of how much patience do you have how long how late are you willing to sit out you know are you going to sit out the entire night you know are mm. you going to spend 12 hours out there well that's difficult to do for most people i mean just on a level of boredom you do get bored you <laughs> know what i mean and so i don't um, know if you recall the last night i hung up my bow was the night that I believe you shot your big boar mm -hmm. um, and I heard some pigs around me and then they scattered and they never came back. Yeah. And I swore to myself I was going to stay out till 2 a.m. And I left at about 145, 150. <laughs> I mean, it was like, this is crazy. I've uh -huh. been sitting for hours and hours and it's 2 a.m. in the morning and mm -hmm. it's time to go in. And I went in and I believe we had trail cam pictures that hogs of did pigs. come in that night. Yeah. 
and that can be that can be you know and so that's and that's you know that's another like really fun thing about it is that you do get to incorporate all this technology you know whether it's like predator lights or uh these motion sensor lights that we use or the trail cams that you set up right on the corn feeders and so there's like you know you, you get a lot of data coming in of like when are they coming into these things and compared to whitetails which uh move on pretty distinct patterns where if you you know if you've got a chunk of property and you set up trail cams and you see when whitetails are moving they are pretty much going to stick to those patterns um as far as i know you know uh with hogs it can be like totally random you know where they'll just they'll come in at four o'clock one day and then a different sounder of pigs will come in at eight in the morning the next day you know and our and our and our um you know the trail camps show this uh so that's it's uh it's really interesting that way or it's it can be totally random if they're there or not um they do i would say that the feeders tend to get hit at some point during the day and within that 24 hour period of time they're going to get hit but i mean again who's going to sit out there <laughs> all day for 24 hours you know that could yeah. be a labor uh they, yeah so um so yeah, it's, it can be, uh, it can get really boring that way, but you know, being, if you're sitting in a box blind, you know, there's also like, again, I, I will often just throw on, uh, throw on earbuds and listen to podcasts the whole time or listen to music, you know, <laughs> sure. and sit there. And there's not that sense of like with, uh, with deer hunting where you have to be vigilant all the time. You can kind of just, you're, you're sitting there looking at the feeder, you know, and you know, that's where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I've also seen uh, you know, what I've noticed is that sounders tend, if you've got a sounder of a bunch of females and a bunch of juveniles, they will often rush into that feeder without doing a lot of what I'd call scouting of it beforehand. They seem to just kind of like pause a little bit beforehand and then run in and they eat it, eat it as fast as they can. And then they get out of there. Uh, all the boars that I've seen, like the big solitary boars have always done a circle around that feeder where they'll go downwind of it first and they want to get it they really scope out the feeder Hmm. and so i've seen boars do a big circle and then decide nope i'm not going to go in tonight you know and i don't know if that's just an experience of getting shot at or as young pigs seeing other pigs get shot or whatever it might be but they know that there's something a little sketchy about that Hmm. uh they know that they need to be cautious around it uh so that can be a challenge that way whether they're going to come in or not. And so especially if you're if you're bow hunting and you're just focused on that feeder and you're 20 yards away from it, there's a good chance that you might have pigs circling around you, especially boar, um, and they might just, you know, smell you and decide, you know, I'm not going to go into that feeder tonight. I'm going to go over to the one on the neighbor's ranch. Yep. There's plenty of opportunity for yeah. them to go. And, you know, and so that's, you know, yeah. on that note too, there's an interesting thing about Texas is like when you go out to these rural counties – everybody's got corn feeders there's you know and everybody's probably got multiple corn feeders um there there's almost like its own little ecosystem of pigs going around feeder to feeder eating corn so it's you know that's kind of a question too are they really yeah they're wild but (laughs) are they are they that wild you know what i mean if they're just eating a lot of corn and then rooting around and eating roots and whatnot uh there's a whole lot of contradictions to this whole this whole concept of pig hunting yeah. uh, that is fun to explore. And like, um, you know, I've heard a lot of conversation about, you know, landowners and people in Texas hating pigs. Mm-hmm. Right. But then uh, there's also an in- industries surrounding them. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, when we talked about them spreading throughout the States, I thought I found it was interesting that you talked about the 1980s. It's like, was that a, a boom in pig hunting? 
you know, yeah. people transporting them across state lines uh, to set up operations in Oklahoma or wherever it might be, uh, and things just get out of hand. I mean, that's how people, you know, that's one of our flaws. We tend to ignore the uh, long-term consequences of things and be self-interested in the short term. And Definitely. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, farmers complain about pigs, and they, they do an incredible amount of destruction. I mean, they do probably... Well, definitely millions of dollars worth of damage, maybe billions of dollars worth of damage to agricultural crops in the United States every year. But you've got guys who will just trap pigs, put them in the back of a pickup truck or in a trailer, and then bring them over to their state, you know? So they may might go to Texas, trap a bunch of hogs, and then bring them to Oklahoma and release them, or bring them up to Wisconsin and release them. Um, and because they want to hunt hunt pigs um and so yeah you've got all these competing interests going on with with hogs you know again sure farmer some farmers will say they hate them but then they might also charge money to have people come down and and shoot them so they've got a secondary income that way they might invest in having a helicopter pilot run aerial hunting on their property you know um so yeah it's this it's this hugely complex thing It, it it brings in a lot of questions about what is wilderness anymore or, you know, yeah. like what, like we live in this Anthropocene now, you know, where it's like humans have their fingers in everything and all animal life is affected by human activity in some way. And, and pigs are this interesting example where it's like, okay, they're domesticated and then feralized and then, you know, bred with other wild boar. And so they're just like, where there's, there's not that disconnect between uh, pigs and humans that you get with some some other species. Yeah, I think it, I look at it as kind of like a spectrum where, you know, sometimes in my outdoor pursuits, I want to find that pure mm-hmm. sort of wilderness experience. And then I would kind of characterize hunting pigs in Texas as being on the uh, more disconnected yeah. end of that spectrum. Um, but it does sort of shine a light on, like, like you said, our hands being connected to everything. Yeah. Um, it's easy to get blinded to the fact that we control most, you know, we regulate all sorts of species in every state. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's what I was going to say. You know, it's, it's like, like literally, you know, you go to Yellowstone and fish for trout. Well, they know like what trout are in the, in those streams yeah. Yeah. and their sizes and the, the population densities and, you know, what you can and cannot do. And, I, you know, a lot of people might look at that as being a very pristine wilderness experience. Yeah. Um, so it, there are those, but it's, <clears throat> I think as hunters and fishermen and, and, and non-hunters, like it's, it's to our benefit to sort of understand our role and to not get too wrapped up in our personal convictions, who's right, who's wrong, who's mm-hmm. doing something, um, that's you know the better than other people and whatnot. I mean, I think that there's like an equal playing field that we are where we are in in 2020 and like as long as you kind of care about what you're doing and yeah. you care about the resources and you're looking to protect them and um, yeah yeah and it's you know I think it 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 tugs at my emotions too in that on the one hand I have a blast going down there to Texas and again that's a that's a privilege of mine that I have just happened to know um, you know I have a relative who has this this beautiful ranch and so and has invested the time and money into setting it up for us to have successful hunts 
Um, so for me, that's this, this privilege that I just have. And I have a lot of fun going down there and, and doing that once or twice a year. Um, and you know, the meat is delicious, but you know, on the other hand, I do kind of step back from it and go, yeah, is, you know, am I actually just like fostering more pigs by coming down here and like allowing us to put up these corn feeders and whatnot and just kind of, am mm-hmm. I more supporting the thing that's that's out there than eating quail eggs and and whatnot and, yeah. and limiting other other species um i don't know uh it's yeah it's i think it's it's interesting to step back and say would i want feral pigs here in minnesota you know would i want uh the opportunity to to know that hey if i go to a management area i might see feral pigs roaming around knowing that if that's the case they might also be eating, you know, eggs and, and tearing up agricultural land and stuff like that. And, um, not being a farmer, I'd probably say, yeah, let's do it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, cause I yeah. think that like, I definitely know that if there were pigs here, I would probably get out into the woods more often. And, um, and, uh, I, I do a lot of hunting for them here. Um, you know, that being said, there's different, different states have taken different management approaches to pigs. So Missouri, for instance, knew that they were having a pig problem with pigs coming up from Arkansas and, and coming over from Oklahoma and Kansas and whatnot. And so their state actually outlawed uh, hunting. I think you it's, it's now illegal to hunt wild boar on public lands in Missouri. And they did that just knowing that if they start allowing people to go out and hunt wild boar, uh, that's going to actually encourage people to just drop more pigs off here and there, and they're in the you know from the back oh. of their pickup truck. Yep, it incentivizes so, the market yep. to to bring them there. To bring them there, yep. And so the other thing is that uh, there's some <laughs> evidence that by hunting pigs, that could be causing the spread of them. Where if you shoot into a sounder, they kind of scatter, and they could scatter for miles, um, and then. You know, suddenly they're in they're in a county where they weren't before, but they find hey, there's a nice river here for us to hang out along and travel up this river, uh, so they spread that way. Um, so that you know, the most effective way by 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 me going down and shooting a hog a year or whatever it might be, I'm really doing no impact on the on the population. No. The only way that they've effectively controlled pig populations is with trapping, um, trapping, and then doing that in a combination of running them down with dogs. Um, so that's another thing is that Missouri having a lot of public lands and, and kind of a robust, uh, fish and game, uh, department, um, or DNR, I don't know what it is there. They've, they've focused a lot of efforts on trapping them on public lands and they've been able to eradicate them in, in certain areas because of that. Um, Hmm. but then, you know, you end up having that going on and you end up those, those agencies end up butting heads then with the. The guy who's got maybe, you know, 180, 300 acres of land and wants to hunt hogs and he's got hogs on his property and puts up corn feeders or whatever. And by doing that, he's fostering the population and they keep spreading into these public areas. So it's, there's definitely a lot of issues around it that are, that are kind of interesting. Yeah, it's definitely really sticky. And I think (laughs) that it's kind of a Pandora's box when you start opening it up. Yeah. Uh, But it's, it's fun to talk about. And it's, like I said, it's kind of a reflective of a lot of other challenges in ecosystems um, more generally. But yeah, something I wanted to talk about a little bit was you mentioned briefly that the meat is delicious. Yes. Let's talk about 
sort of cooking, eating wild pork, because uh, that was my, again, I can kind of claim that that's, that was my level of interest where it was peaked was, was uh, recognizing that that's, you know, similar pork. It is the same species. And uh, if I could go get it for relatively low cost and have a fun week doing it, um, I was interested in that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, first off, I uh, actually just had some of my wild boar tonight. I made a chili that had a bunch of ground up pig in it. I actually mixed ground venison and ground, uh, ground pork together, browned it up, and then put it in a chili that I made tonight, and nice. it was delicious. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so, um, like you said, I mean, they are basically domesticated pigs that have been unleashed on the landscape and are feral, um, but you take their thick hide off and their thick hair off, and they're essentially a pig underneath. Um, and yet at the same time, it's, the meat is delicious. It has, I would say a little more flavor to it than if you went out and bought store-bought pig. Um, and it's much leaner, you know, it doesn't have the antibiotics and the growth hormones or whatever they might put into them. Um, and so I guess, you know, the way I would kind of compare it is when you, if you, if you have like a, a highly industrialized egg, and you crack that into a frying pan, it kind of has like almost like a white look to it compared to like when you crack an organic egg in and it's got this rich yellow color to it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, just like look like you can look at these two eggs and go, okay, they're the exact same thing, but just looking at it, I know that one's better. Right. Mm, yeah. And so I would say that I can see that with, with wild boar compared to like the pork that you'd get in a supermarket where just looking at them, I'm like that wild boar has more color to the meat it looks leaner. It just looks healthier. So uh, there's that element to it. Now, when we've we what we do a lot uh, with a lot of it is uh, just put it in a slow cooker and make pulled pork out of it, and then you know throw in a bunch of barbecue and make pulled pork sandwiches. And uh, if I were to give somebody that sandwich, they probably wouldn't biting into it. They would have no idea that that that's a wild boar that they're eating. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that being said, there is, so when you shoot a boar, some of the boars that we've shot, uh, the, the males, um, when you shoot them and cook them up, they can have a really musky, like tang to the meat where mm -hmm. it's, it's a noticeable flavor. Like, it, I, I mean, it's hard to, I don't know tang what, tang is an interesting <laughs> yeah, adjective. I, I, I don't, hmm. I don't know what testosterone tastes like, but I, but I imagine that's like, <laughs> Like if I had to say this is what testosterone tastes like, that's that's what I would say. It's like the 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 pungentness that you get with a wild like a a male wild boar. Um, now it's not all. We've shot some like 150 pound boars and they taste just like the sows do. So I don't know if it's that there's different you know at different times of the day or whatever it might be or just seasonally or you know what's going on with them. Um, but yeah, there, there can be definitely a tang and, and my mom, uh, will not eat the male boar meat. <laughs> she'll, she'll eat the salads just fine, but she can taste if there's like, if it's a, if it's a boar, I don't mind the flavor at all. I think it adds a lot to the, to the experience of it. And, you know, I can bite in and go, Oh yeah, this is a, <laughs> this is a big, big male that we're eating right now. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and it and I, the flavor is not bad. It's just, but it is like a tangy slight, to it. Yeah, the slight adaptation to your yeah taste buds. What you're expecting. My my wife does a similar thing with if I'm cooking venison, she'll ask like now before like we eat, is this the is this the buck or is this the dough? Yeah, like it, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, right? But <laughs> but some sometimes it does, it. and I think yeah. so, like it might be a legit thing that some people can taste the difference. I can't. Yeah, but um, that matters, I think, to some people. But yeah, there's so many ways you can prepare them. Um, I mean, I've made jerky out of them. We've made our own sausages with them. Um, again, you know, doing like a, a mix of, they're great to like mix with venison if you want to, because they're, they're still like, they can have a lot of fat on them. And so, you know, mixing them with venison, you can kind of get a more greasy combination out of that. That works really well for burgers and stuff like that. Um, so just earlier this week, we made some venison hog burgers. That cool. was really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you know, my aunt, uh, with the one she shot in January, she, uh, cured the hams on it and now has salted wild boar hams that she's going to use for, cool. uh, you know, an event or something like that. So save them for the holiday. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, they, the people say really the only thing you can't get off a wild boar is bacon. And that's because they're so lean. They just don't have that, that fattiness built up. But even then, some of the big ones that we've shot, you know, you could cut away that kind of flank area and, and get get bacon off. Or like some very thin yeah, sure. bacony type stuff Crispy. if you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I will say that on the note of butchering... Um, Hogs do carry a lot. They have the potential, I should say. They have the potential to carry a lot of diseases that can uh, infect humans. So there's brucellosis, trichinosis, and pseudorabies are probably the three big ones. Um, and so just, you know, like any animal that you butcher, uh, be cautious while you're butchering it. Don't be careful with the uh, guts on it. You don't want to mix, uh, you know, fecal matter with the meat. If you can avoid that um, and then when you cook it cook it uh, you know at least to 165 degrees make sure it kills off those pathogens if it is carrying pathogens um, but it's safe to eat if you cook it thoroughly yeah yeah it's not like a, you can't do it rare medium rare you want to get it to that 165 yeah. plus uh, point and I found the best way to do that is like you said, slow cooking. Yep. There's been a number of nights where I've pulled out some chops and uh, been in kind of a rush and just had to sear it and you know throw it on a cast iron and do it like a pork chop and kind of rush it. And I found those to be less enjoyable. I mean, the taste is the flavor's fine, but it's tougher. And yeah, I think slow cooking is the best. Was my recommendation for a lot of things. Yeah, and I've actually um, I've smoked a lot of the the hams that we've gotten off of them, and that's super good. Um, but there too, you know, with, with smoking them, you want to brine them really well beforehand. And then I also like to, you know, either wrap them in like, uh, use like mayonnaise or some sort of fatty mm. substance to kind of seal in some of the moisture with them because they do dry out a lot faster than if you're cooking or smoking a, a domestic ham. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think we should maybe talk briefly. Um, this is another can of worms that we don't need to open too far, but um equipment that you maybe need to yeah. get into yeah. things um i'm assuming most if you want to rifle hunt most big game rifle yep. um will work can you touch on that yeah briefly? so um 
A, a couple of things about hog vitals. Number one, hog vitals are much lower on the body than on a deer. They're And they're much more compact. They're kind of packed into this small uh, compartment up in the front that's very concealed by the shoulder. Uh, so that being said, you can still make the same kind of shots that you would make on a hog as you would make on a deer, as long as you're shooting low and you try, you want to try to get a quartering away shot with them. Um, their spine is interesting in that their spine goes much lower. It's, this is hard to describe on a, uh, you know, on a podcast, you kind of have to see a picture of it. I would definitely, if you're going to go hunting hogs, definitely study pictures of their vitals because their spine kind of dips low into their body. And uh, so the spinal processes are these, uh, the bones that basically stick out of your vertebrae. You know, if you're looking at somebody's spine, what you're seeing are the spinal processes coming out of, you know, kind of protruding up through the skin. So on hogs, those are very tall. And what can be deceiving about that is that if you are to make a shot where you would kind of shoot on a deer, you would actually be kind of, you know, if you're, a little high on a deer, you would actually be probably hitting that spine on a hog because the spine sits so low in their mm. body. Boar have what's called a boar shield. So boars will fight with each other and they use their tusks and they basically slam their tusks into the side of each other. And so um, to protect against that, they've evolved this very thick, it's almost like cartilage that shrouds their shoulders. And it goes from about the base of their neck back over their shoulders and then kind of over their, oh, I'd say probably like the first third of their spine or so, um, and can even get down into sort of their sides. So um, if you if you shoot that with a bullet, I, I hit a hog, a, a very large hog, and I actually had, I thought it was much smaller. I aimed at the base of its neck, right where that boar shield is and where, right where it's thick enough, or it's, it's, it's at its thickest. And uh, shot it with a 30 odd six and ended up only wounding that animal. And um, I, we tracked it for over a mile, found it bedded down. It got up and ran off and had no blood after that. Like had, you know, this is after being hit with a 30 odd six, which is a huge cartridge. Um, I've read since then, I've read other stories online of people shooting hogs in that boar shield and not being able to recover them in the same way. I've read of people shooting boar, like these big male boars, and then when they're butchering them, finding old bullets hmm. stuck in that boar shield. Wow. So on this latest trip, my cousin uh, shot his boar. He shot it, it was kind of a quartering away shot. So it went through the shoulder, passed through the body cavity. And then as we were butchering it, we found the bullet from um, a 308 that he was shooting on the opposite side, pushed up against that boar shield. So basically this bullet had passed through the boar's body in its soft area. And then as soon as it hit that boar shield, the bullet stopped. Wow. And that just shows how powerful that is. I don't know that, you know, there's something about the flexibility of that cartilage with its strength that stops bullets for some reason. So they're, and they're, they're just, they're extremely tough animals. Um, again, highly resilient, uh, and they breed like crazy, <laughs> <laughs> but they are delicious. So if you get a chance to go hunt them, definitely take the chance. I would, I would say go do it. Uh, if you want to, 
you know, kind of charter a hunt. There are so many ranches out there that you can contact uh, just by doing a basic Google search. Um, you know, I was looking at some prices today just to kind of get an idea. It seems like for about 500 bucks, you know, you can go hunt hogs for a weekend at a ranch okay. in Texas. Yeah. And that's kind of your all-in cost if you yeah. can bring your own equipment. Um, again, the licensing thing is kind of, to our knowledge, you know, very reasonable yeah. uh, relative to what some of the other hunting opportunities there are in the States. Um, but yeah, definitely something to, to consider if if this sounds appealing, if it's a little you know different relative to some of the other things we've talked about, but it can be very exciting. I've definitely had a big rush when i was down there um it was yeah super interesting time yeah um cool well i suppose that's a place to leave things uh with you know a variety of different opportunities um methods it's like just like everything like choose sort of what you if you're interested in it kind of start to pursue things and um it it provides a different time of year and a different skill set to learn you know deer hunting has a season yeah in the fall and then you have turkeys in the spring and then fishing in the summer and it's like there's no closed season in texas no so you can year-round. you can really yeah. squeeze it in whenever you have time yeah whereas you know if i'm trying to plan what am i going to try to hunt big game this year i've got 12 weekends that i've got to try to fit everything in yeah and the reason why um, hunting hogs is appealing to me as we've mentioned before is is acquiring meat that I'm familiar with mm-hmm. I cook pork all the time and it would be nice to have some that's you know I've obtained myself um, but also I can do it whenever I've got a free weekend or, yeah. Yeah. or two or whatever it, it works well with my schedule yeah, and again, I mean, if you compare the cost of, you know, going to a ranch in Texas and hunting a big boar, um, you know, again, probably 500 bucks for a weekend. Uh, and then, you know, you've got the the other costs of travel and all that on top of that. But compare that to, I don't know, how much is an elk hunt, you know, or how much would be it would it be to go out and, um, you know, yeah, hunt hunt some of it, like do, a, do an actual like mule deer hunt or something like that out west, you know, I'm sure... Yeah the license alone might be 500 bucks mm-hmm. for an elk, you know? Yep. And then you've got, you know, your lodging and all that on top of it. So, mm-hmm. yep. um, so yeah, definitely, uh, uh, an inexpensive option for people who want to expand their hunting. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, yeah, I think, uh, that'll do it for hog hunting. We'll maybe revisit it some other time if we, Go down there for a second opportunity, or I'm sure you'll be. Yeah, I want to give it you'll a try. You'll be down there sure. again, yeah, probably next year or whatever. But um, well, maybe I'll be curious to follow up. Maybe I can pull some strings. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, my like I said, my this is a privilege of mine to uh, hunt with my uncle, and he's been very gracious in opening his ranch to us. And so, um, yeah, maybe he can uh, invite you down there again. That'd be sweet. Yeah, like we've said before, it's good to know people. <laughs> it's good to know people. All right, thanks, Sean. Thank you, guys. Take care.